Our whole ethos is helping people go from stuck to unstoppable. And we do that through a proven strategy and methodology. Because you're so clear in what's important to you, what your skills are, what you were built to do, you are uniquely qualified to deliver that value in a way that nobody else can deliver. Caution, you will begin to love your nine to five with this show. Join us as we explore and discover your unique strengths and learn to apply them to your daily business activities with your host, Shmuel Septimus. Welcome to the Love Your Nine to Five show. This is a show where we bring on guests who are either successful in making the transition from work that they hate, that they despise, that is not a, a true expression of who they really are, and they've either changed and made that change themselves and now are in a much better position, or they've helped others make that very same transition. Today, we are fortunate that we actually have Tracy Tim with us. Tracy is a, as I'm reading from the paper, is a career <laughs> clarity catalyst, professional speaker, podcast host. I didn't know that. Human capital advisor. Tracy, you check both boxes. I'm really excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming. Yes. Oh my gosh. I, as soon as I saw what you're doing and, and we talked about, you know, transitioning from work you love and then also helping other people. I mean, this is, could not be more aligned. So excited to be here as well. Thank you. Awesome. 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 So Tracy, for those who don't know who you are yet, for myself, for the listeners, Tracy, tell us a little bit about who you are personally, if you don't mind sharing the short version as it pertains to this conversation and, yeah. and professionally, where have you been so far? Goodness. Um, I appreciate that you gave that precursor of the short version because I could give you a long one and it's a good story. But the we'll majority it. of it really boils down to the fact that, you know, I was raised as kind of like a your quintessential high achieving box checking busy kid. I was doing everything to perform to a specific degree. And, you know, performance got you to the next level of success, right? So if you performed in middle school, you went to high school. If you performed in high school, you went to college. But after you're done performing in college, you go on to the real world. And I know if you're listening, that might be like, well, duh, Tracy, great. But if you've always been that kind of box checker kid who's doing the thing you need to do to get to the next level, and then you go to a, a world where you have sort of an infinite number of choices and no clear definition of what success is, it can be incredibly overwhelming. And so my journey started when I graduated college with a degree in psychology, but really no solid idea of what I wanted to do professionally. And I went to a great school that had incredible opportunities for us to have great jobs after we graduated, but it was great by somebody else's definition. And that's how I got to Wall Street. So my very first job out of college was working on a trading floor in high yield and distressed credit right outside of Manhattan, you know, doing the 6am, the 6pm, you know, wow. sitting behind four computer screens, getting yelled at by angry people, like boiler room stuff. Right. And I tell you what, two and a half years into that, I was a miserable, anxious shell of a self that like in high school, I loved life. I was all about it. I wanted to be around people who were happy and full of possibility. And, and I had just crumbled to this sort of, you know, I, I gotten on the career conveyor belt, as I call it. And I got a little bit down the mm -hmm. road and woke right. up to a miserable version of myself that was so anxious and so unhappy that I was 
over medicating on NyQuil to go to bed or like drinking too much or just, you know, it was horrible. And the reason that I do what I do now is partially because of that, but also because when I finally woke up and pulled my head out of the sand and decided, you know, I got to get out of here, I had no idea where I wanted to go. And no idea what the first step should be in figuring that out because, you know, I'm also too, again, being a high sort of a quintessential like overachiever, wanted the first step to be the right step and the most efficient step and didn't want to waste any time. Mm -hmm. So I reached out to what I thought was a logical place, my school, my alma mater, and said, do you have resources for recent alumni thinking they're going to give me a book or a coach or a program or something? And they were so lacking in resources that the light bulb went off. I was just like, I can't be the only person who struggles with this. I can't be the only one who's two, five, 10 years into my career and woke up miserable and wants to make a change and knows they have potential and wants to do good work, but has no idea what that looks like, right? Mm -hmm. How to to find it. Even if I did find it, how to make sure I was the one that got picked because you know how competitive things are these days. And especially if you, if you we go down that rabbit trail of like uh, digital applications and never hearing anything back. And, you know, there's a lot of people who are suffering in that little black hole. And so at that point, the seed got planted. And so if you fast forward today, it wasn't immediate and it definitely wasn't an immediate transition, but today I have a career clarity and strategy business and our whole ethos is helping people go from stuck to unstoppable. And we do that through a proven strategy and methodology. So um, our strategy is called the nth degree. It's trademarked, Mm -hmm. now licensed as a digital program. I teach it as a retreat and a digital program, a mastery program last year. And really the whole idea behind it is if you're lost and stuck, what is step one? And then can you do step one, knowing that it's going to get you to step two, knowing that it's going to get you to step three. So that's what the nth degree really is, is for people who are looking for that proven process or methodology that they can really lean on in an otherwise very chaotic and tumultuous time in your life. A couple of questions that jumped out at me right away. Uh, Tracy, I'm sorry. First of all, you said that you went to school for your psychology degree and then you ended up on Wall Street. How did that happen? Yeah. So it's part funny actually, and part practical, but so the obvious thing to do with a psychology degree seemed like therapy or counseling. And then I was also an athlete. And so I sort of considered sports psychology as well, but I really didn't want to do any of those things. I didn't want to be a 22 year old therapist. I didn't want to listen to like people's problems. I knew that that wasn't my genius zone, but I didn't know what was. And so I went to Yale. It's not a secret (laughs) that I keep, but it's a a great place where companies come on campus and and all kinds of other agencies and organizations to recruit because they know that they're going to get probably a good crop of smart people. Mm -hmm. So I went to a career fair my senior year in college, senior, you know, September early and just traipsed, you know, up and down the aisles and was like, just not impressed with any of it. You know, knew I didn't want to do consulting, had zero finance background. Mm -hmm. So I looking at any of those jobs. I didn't even know what banking was really and didn't want to go to grad school right away because I didn't know what it would be for. And then I knew that, you know, those are kind of the the major things you could look for and then maybe work for the government. And I have zero interest in government or policy. So I'm traipsing up and down these aisles and a girlfriend of mine runs over and says, Hey, have you talked to the Royal Bank of Scotland? And I'm embarrassed to say this out loud, but she said they're hiring salespeople. 
And I had to support myself in college, sold Cutco Knives. I'm not sure if you've heard of Cutco, but it's a knife company. And it's this great opportunity for college students to earn like a pretty ridiculous amount of money. And it's a great product and people love it. And so anyway, I was basically doing the equivalent of door-to-door sales like for four years. So my friend, I had a sales background. So she runs over and she's like, you should go talk to them. So I go talk to them and I really just thought it was kind of like a sales job. And it turns out it was sales and trading, which is, you know, sort of half of global banking and markets. So you have banking, which is, you know, raising capital and funding and, you know, that kind of stuff. And then you have markets, which are like stocks and bonds and things that trade. And I didn't know (laughs) any of that at the time, Uh, but I figured, you know, I was smart and a hard worker and I could learn and figure it out. And so I applied. I didn't even get a first round interview. Get this. Somebody got the swine flu and their interview slot opened up. And so I got an interview and I just went into the interview owning what I knew, owning what I didn't know and trying to be the kind of person that somebody would want to work with. And it turns out that, you know, on Wall Street, they're really big on personality. They love athletes. And they were more interested in finding somebody who was kind of a clean slate and could speak intelligently and that sort of thing and teach them what they wanted them to know instead of having them come in with all kinds of preconceived notions about how they So the fact that you didn't know what you were talking about was an advantage for them. It kind of worked out. Yeah. But, you know, again, I think a lot of that happens. I know I get to leverage it and use it and it's a great story. It, It just, I did all of that out of fear. I was so afraid to graduate without a job. I was so afraid to get a job that nobody else thought was impressive or interesting or wouldn't pay me well. Or I was just so terrified that I was making my decisions, you know, through a totally different set of values than I teach people to use now. And it took a while to recognize that and really own it. But it, you know, it led me to where I am now. And so I'm, I'm grateful, but it definitely was not a linear path or even an obvious one. So it's kind of a little embarrassing story. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So like I, t- I mentioned briefly before the show that I've been a nursing home administrator. I've worked in several different facilities, all in the state of Massachusetts, but part of my job is interviewing people for their roles. Yeah. And uh, you're not familiar with my background yet, but I'll just give you the very short version because some of the listeners of the podcast uh, know it all too well. And the bottom line is, I was not involved in the professional world until I was 30. Never had a job ever. I was studying, I love that, (laughs) watching your facial expressions. Um, I was studying Talmud, which is the Jewish legal system in the original uh, Hebrew letter, Amoraic language, and doing that all day for 10 plus hours a day for pretty much from the beginning of high school until I was 30. You know, I began teaching it a little bit in the evenings and developing some skills but I was kind of thrown into the business world at that age and was literally thrown in into positions, you know, with zero training. And I really learned everything that I do know so far is completely learned by fire. Mm-hmm. And I've had the pleasure of interviewing a lot of other people who have gone more of the typical path and have mm-hmm. gone to college for something that they don't like. They've incurred unimaginable amounts of student debt. They found someone else, a boyfriend, a girlfriend that also went through the same path. And now together, they're struggling under this enormous burden of debt for a degree that they now know with a little bit of experience that they will never, ever use. And I can see from your side, you've heard this story many times before, and it's painful for me. And one specific example that I've given so many times is of a particular person who came interviewing for a nursing position. 
maybe like the reverse of your story. And um, she was in her mid 40s, I believe. And she said that she was in finance for, I forget, over 10 years. And the reason why, and I don't remember who this is, and maybe one day someone will reach out to me and say, hey, I was that person. That was me, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but she said that I was in this role. I hated every second of it. I was doing well. I was making money. And everyone, my mother was happy. My dad was happy. My uncle, Uncle Dave was happy. So it was amazing, but it wasn't. Right. And um, I always wanted to be a nurse. And finally, after a broken marriage and after a lot of other personal problems, she finally put herself through nursing school and at that point was applying for a nursing position. And she said to me, um, I'm going to try to control myself here a little bit, but she said, I wish I would have gone straight to nursing school right out of high school. I would have been a nurse with a master's at 21 years old. Who knows where I would have been at this point? So I couldn't control myself and I asked her, well, why weren't, why didn't you do just that? Yeah. And the answer, the answer is so hard to hear and it's so true. And she said, you know, my mom wasn't in finance. My dad was in finance. The expectation of my entire social circle was that I go down a particular path. And for me to go and decide to go in another direction was very, very difficult. And it, not just that it was difficult, I never even thought there was another option. Of course, I'm an extension of them. And this is what I, this is my duty is to do just that. Mm-hmm. It took years of suffering and silence and you know, wrecking a marriage and a career to realize that, that that was the wrong direction. So again, I can't speak because I told you briefly my background and obviously there's more to that. So, so the bottom line is people go and they get their degrees and things that they have no idea. They have zero world experience. They don't know who they are themselves. They've just barely matured. They're just figuring out what life is all about. And they're these young adults we put them through these years of college, pay through our noses many times, and come out with degrees that either are not applicable to the business world anymore, or they are, but there were shorter ways uh, to get there. Or the worst case scenario is that it's completely the wrong uh, credentialing for the wrong person. So it's just something that pains me deeply. So you went right. for psychology, yeah. which wasn't a bad fit, apparently, but then you ended up in finance, which was a terrible fit. And now you kind of back to psychology in a way. Oh yeah, which has been great. I mean, I've I've always had just a massive passion for people and their stories and why we do what we do and motivation and and I discovered that while studying psychology, but there again, this happens to almost everybody I talk to is that they find maybe a topic or an idea that interests them, but they have no idea how to translate that into a professional setting. Right? Money. Like, yeah, how do I make money doing that? And And, you know, I had a really, I mean, she's one of my best friends in the world, but at the time this was super obnoxious. She used to ask all of us, if money was no issue, what would you do? And I remember thinking, well, that's a stupid question to ask because money's always going to be an issue. It's always going to be what I need to sustain my life or take care of people or whatever. And, um, but at one point, like, I think it was probably after several glasses of red wine, I was like, you know what? I'm going to answer your stupid question. If I could do anything, because I loved listening and learning to people so much, I would sit and drink water, coffee, or wine, depending on the time of day with another person and just talk about their life, like what they like, what they don't, where they're going, where they've been, what, you know, all of it. And I woke up a couple of years ago and realized like, holy crap, that's what I do. And it's really kind of a beautiful full circle. But the struggle is that you might find an activity you enjoy, a topic that's interesting to you, 
or you might have like a, a gift or a talent or an ability, but if it doesn't have an obvious application or if the people around you don't validate it, it's really hard to see it as an asset or as a possibility for your career and for your future. And so because I was without any resources to know how or if I could even leverage that interest and then also my sort of skills and abilities around speaking and teaching and team building, Mm -hmm. I was lost. I was just lost. And I felt very much without hope and possibility. So yeah. So how did you make the successful transition? And what are you doing currently? And then we'll get to everybody else. Yeah, for sure. So, okay. So I left Wall Street and I do not recommend that people do this unless you're like really prepared for the consequences. I upright up and just quit. I just quit my job. I didn't have a plan. Like I literally bad, went. Bad, bad, bad. It was bad. It was bad. I don't, don't do it unless you're ready for the consequences of doing it. But what happened to me was pretty special. So the reason I did that was because I reached probably a mental and physical end. Like I had to leave to be healthy. Like it was safer than jumping off a bridge. Exactly. So, but when the day I went in to quit was literally the day after I got back from a friend's wedding, where if you know me, you know that I love weddings, wine, happiness, love, dancing. That's me, right? In, in, a, in an event. But I spent the entire time sitting outside of the event venue crying on the curb because I knew that the following day I was going to have to fly back to Connecticut and go back to my job. Wow. And right, that's a wake up call. Wow. And my friend came outside and said, this is so not you. Like, where have you gone? You know, and that really... I woke up. And so I, on my flight home, I wrote out my I'm quitting speech. And then the following day I quit. And what happened was, and I was just a fortunate beneficiary of good timing. That was 2012. So it was right after a couple of, obviously we had, you know, the recession still going and a lot of bad things still going on. But my desk specifically had had a lot of people that were laid off fairly recently before that. And so we were like all hands on deck and there was no way they were going to let me walk out of the building without at least trying to get me to stay. So what ended up happening was it really just cleared the air between me and the leadership. So they knew where my head really was. I finally felt relief that I didn't have to pretend like I wanted to be there anymore, but I got to stay. So I had a nice transition period of about two to two and a half months where We were all on the same page. I was still getting a paycheck. I was still doing my job, but I was able to look for something else. So again, I got lucky, but I So that's a luxury because there are many times that there are people who they say they get up and they say, I quit. And they're expecting leadership to roll down, get on their knees and beg them to stay. And they say, okay, you know, you can go. And that actually happened to me in my administrator role. Really? I had somebody resign on me who we... I don't remember who it is off the top of my head. Not that I would share, but um, <laughs> but we desperately, we were in the opposite position. Uh, we desperately needed this person to be on board and they resigned and out of anger. And I forget, I have some nurse leadership position, I think. Yeah. And the person went to the parking lot, had a sobering moment, knocked their head against the steering wheel a few times, called their spouse who said, you find somewhere else to sleep. Person turned around and came back in and said, I want my job back. And it was very tempting to say, sure, I understand you had a tough day. Who knows what is going on in your personal life? Come in for a hug. But that's not what happened. They said, I'm sorry, you left your job, you quit. If there was a, we could have had a conversation, you ran out in a dramatic way, and, you know, and it's over. Wow. And it was, not, it was the right decision. It wasn't easy, 
But we were, you know, we had to scramble to do whatever gaping hole was created, whatever vacuum there was. But, you know, everyone moves over a little bit. Some people, everyone picks up the slack eventually, either yeah. replace or eliminate that position. But, but you definitely got lucky there. The bottom line is like this. For those who are listening to this conversation, and as they listen to the conversation, they're like, I hate my job. I'm doing well. I have a family to support. I have a mortgage payment. I have all sorts of financial responsibilities. I have social responsibilities. People only talk to me in social settings because they respect me as a responsible person who has a good paying job. And I'm a normal person who's out there every day. I have something to get up for. If I want to take off from work, I have to tell somebody I matter to society. Sure. And But inside, they're exactly like you are. They're crumbling up inside. They hate every single second of what they are doing. So I think that part, at least from personal experience, I think that's the easy part. Nobody has a job that's paying well and you know, intentionally chooses to hate it you know, if it's not true. I think it's easy to recognize when things are wrong. And like we just said, quitting a job with no plan is stupid. I'm sorry. <laughs> But frankly, that's what it is. I got stuck doing that because I didn't address it all that time beforehand, right? I let it get so bad. You let it fester. Yes. I tell people that all the time. I'm like, listen, you have to choose or the decision is going to be made for you. Awesome. Right? But one of those two things is going to happen. Yeah. You you have to choose or the decision is going to be made for you. You're going to be forced Make a decision. And sometimes it's not, I quit. Sometimes it's you're fired. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You're miserable. You know, really made it for you because even if you're not bad at what you do, if you don't like what you do, ultimately that's going to affect your performance or at the very least your mannerism. And you will be the toxic person that we make fun of that every organization needs to just get rid of that person and everyone else will heal. Yep. And, you know, again, I've certainly seen that firsthand, how you get rid of one rotten apple as long as you got the right one then you get rid of the one good person and it's a problem. So you hate your job. People also don't want to admit that they hate their job. There is reluctance to admit that because admitting that says I failed. No, this is my job. This is my sustenance. This is what I thought I would be good at. I was excited when I got this job. And in a way, it's admitting failure because, you know, my boss thinks I'm good. My clients or whoever it is, my coworkers thinks that it's good. So the first thing is admitting that it's not working. But now that it's not working and I'm not quitting, how do I go about figuring out what is work that works for me? That's good yes. fit for me. Yes. Okay. I love that you started with, you know, that there are a series of realizations, meaning like you're going to realize you don't like it. Then you're going to realize that's okay. Then you're going to realize you have to do something about it. And all of those involve lots of different, really in-depth, you know, time with yourself and, and getting just honest with yourself. And I want to say this before we move on to the how real quickly is that if you are in any way miserable doing what you're doing, if it's not just the, listen, maybe 10, 20% of every job is going to be a bit of a shit sandwich. And that's just like the case with everybody. I love my business, but do I enjoy like the little administrative crap I have to do? No, but it's part of the bigger whole, right? That, That is such an awesome point right there because people think that once you do all the work correctly, you're going to be living on cloud nine in the Garden of Eden forever and ever. And that is not the case. There is a certain element of everybody's job that's just that one day a month where you're doing all the admin stuff. Mm-hmm. For some people, live for that. But for someone yeah. who doesn't like that, there's going to be that, that part of it. Okay, go on. Yeah. So anyway, I, I guess if you're listening to this and you are miserable and then you're doing the, but I make money, but I have vacation days, but I have kids, but I have whatever... First and foremost, there are people who allow their circumstances to dictate their life. And then there are people who don't. And I think 
if you look at people who are wildly successful, have extraordinary results, have lives that they love and feel deeply engaged with, they're probably the latter. But what I really want you to think about, because that's just kind of like a mean thing to say, the deeper thing that's at risk here is getting to the end of your life and having the number one regret of dying people, which is, I wish I had had the courage to live a life true to myself. That is the number one regret. And it's brawny wears, five regrets of the dying or the top regrets of the dying. That is number one. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself and not worry so much about what other people thought. And that's what's at stake here. If you can look at what you're doing now and then look at yourself as like a 90-year-old with an Afghan and a cat on your lap sitting on a porch somewhere thinking about... In a nursing life. home, in a middle bed, in there a diaper. Yes. Are you going to regret just having done it because of insert X, Y, and Z random thing that you think you can't get over? And that was the case for me. I made six figures at 22. I took my parents on a cruise to the Mediterranean. I bought really good Christmas presents. I had bank holidays off. Like I could have justified staying there forever, but it truly was eating away at everything that was good about me and every piece of value that I could actually be adding to a business was a liability in that scenario. And it was ruining relationships, friendships, my parents and I, I mean, it was awful. So here's the step-by-step that I teach. And this works if you do every step 100% of the time. Okay. Step or you one, yes. Or you, well, no, <laughs> but yeah. Step one is truly to get clear on, on what you love. What are your core values? What is core to your being? Is it integrity? Is it freedom? Is it collaboration? Is it flexibility? Is it stability, right? If you get super clear on what's core to you and then you commit to living to those values, living by those values and for those values, that's the only way you can start to make alignment in your life and in your career. It's the only way. Is you continue to define success by what somebody else cares about and what somebody else values, what your parents do, what your friends are doing, you may stumble on it. You may get lucky, right? And that's one of every however many people who are like, oh yeah, my friend started such and such job and I just went with her and I ended up loving it. But how often does that really happen? Not very mm-hmm. often, right? Okay. If you're not clear on your own core values and then committing to those values and choosing to say yes or no based on those values, then you're living somebody else's dream and you're playing somebody else's game. And as long as you're doing that, the potential for you to reach your fullest potential and live engaged in what you're doing is just not there. It's just not there. And the reality is that our behaviors, what we do in the world, where we spend our money, where we spend our time, the decisions that we make, like the people that we're around, those tell the world what we value, right? If I go spend my money on a car and not on charity, let's say, okay, that tells the world what I value. That's not bad or good or better or worse, but it's true. So if you're in a job you hate because of insert X, Y, and Z thing, and you're unwilling to address it because you're so hung up on that thing, well, that's what you value. And I'll tell you that multiple times in my life, I redo my core values every single year because I try to practice what I preach, but you can totally see the decision-making process I went through in my senior year in college was based on a totally different set of values than what I deeply cared about. It was 
my value of fear and my value of not wanting to fail and my value of wanting to look impressive to other people. And I mean, you name it, right? So step one is always, where are you in life? So get realistic. I'm not trying to create an army of starving artists, like people who love their work, but don't make money. Those are volunteers. That's not a job, right? I'm also not trying to get people to live outside of their means. I think that if you have responsibilities, those are the first things that you should put down in your you know, life audit. But you can only sustain a living doing something you hate for so long. And if you want success sustainably, then it has to align with what you give a shit about. It's like, it just has to. So step one is life audit, core values, commitments, and then turning those commitments right into like a vision. What kind of life do I want? And if you don't define it, it's really hard to find it. And a lot of people that I work with think that they're going overboard, that they're getting too clear or they're being too narrow-minded in what they want. And the reality is if you're open to everything, you're never going to find your one thing. It's like in marketing, if you're talking to everybody, you're talking to nobody. And the same thing is true in your career search. When you are dialed in and you know exactly what your ideal career is, your networking conversations change, your LinkedIn profile for crying out loud changes, right? Just the ethos with which you're doing the search changes and you get there faster when you're dialed in. So that's step one. But steps two and three are the clarifying process to step one. So if it's figuring out what your core values are, then we need to give that some life. What is it? How does it manifest in the real world or in your career? Okay. The next two steps are, I call them nature and nurture. They're part of the nth degree. The nth degree, everything starts with N. Oh, okay. But it's also, you know, play on words. It's your limitless potential. And it's a degree that hopefully is a degree in yourself, which is the one I think that we're all really lacking. So your nature and your nurture are what comes naturally to you and what you've learned how to do over time. And where those things overlap with what you care about right now gives you a sense of what you were built for, which is where what you've learned overlaps with what you care about, and what you were born for, which is where what you're naturally good at overlaps with what you care about. And if I can incorporate those two things, what I was born for and what I was built for into a job, well, then that's magic. That's your niche. That's your your sandbox, your genius zone, whatever you want to call it. But that's how you identify work that you would love to be doing is, do you care about it? Are you naturally inclined towards it for some reason? And are you going to be good at it? And the Japanese have a great concept that I love that you might've heard of in the past called Ikigai. And it's, so it's I-K-I-G-A-I, Ikigai. And the concept is kind of translated roughly to your reason for being. Okay. You get up in the morning. Right. And it's four things. It's really simple. It's what you love, where that meets what you're good at, where that meets something that you find meaningful or the world finds meaningful. And most importantly, I think where you can get paid. Those are the four things to this sort of idea. But you can substitute number four with how you bring value to others because it's the same thing. People think when you talk about these types of conversations and you're looking deep into yourself that as soon as you say paid, it's dirty and ugly. You have to understand (laughs) that a payment is just a reflection of thank you from bringing value to other people. It's a value exchange. It's a value exchange. Exactly. because, Because you're so clear in what's important to you, what your skills are, what you were built to do you are uniquely qualified to deliver that value in a way that nobody else can deliver. So you deserve to get paid tons and tons of money for that. 
Dude, you nailed it. That was the best soundbite. Can I have that? Can I have it? (laughs) You can have it. It's true. That's exactly what I preach is that if if you are that dialed in, you are the go-to asset that puts you, you know, out of what everybody else is playing in, which is the commodity land of I'm a good employee and makes you a value added asset that companies want. Like I hire people, I've hired two interns. I want them to come into me and say, this is my genius zone. This is what I'm good at. This is how I can add value to you. And oh, by the way, nobody else has this, right? Nobody else has this combination because the truth is, this is the beautiful part, is that nobody will have the exact same niche as you do or as I do because nobody has the same experience and the exact same core values and the exact same nature. That is a unique combination to each person. And once you can articulate your value as a unique asset, you're gold. It's gold. So let me jump in here. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you and the listeners. And I think people know that for me, this is still a work in progress. As I mentioned to you before, I think before we started talking that my job as a nursing home administrator ended, the the facility closed, and I'm now in the process. uh, I'm building a marketing company for nursing homes and assisted living facilities. As exciting as it sounds, it's difficult to get a company off the ground. I didn't mention to you before the show, but I'm married. I have six of my own children. Um, I have. I will have several private tuitions to pay next year for all of them. So I have a very short runway. And to do what I'm doing is almost as crazy as doing what you did, quitting without a plan, except that I've been building this up on the side at the same time. Yeah. But having said all of that, it's simpler said than done. You know, just figuring out what that unique thing is because mm-hmm. it's not a drop-down menu. If it would be a drop-down menu, there would be 7 billion options or however many people there are in the world because we're all unique. So it's not that a drop-down really menu. And it's, yeah, that, that was beautifully said. Yeah, well, it's true. So it takes work, hard work, and honest work and taking feedback from other people. If you have a spouse and you have a good relationship, that there's no one else usually that may know you, but if not, it can be someone else in your family or community or even at work. It could be a good boss. It can be a good employee. That could be tricky, but sometimes you can get great feedback from them as well. But assuming two things, how long should it take to do this process before you even figure out how to apply it practically? Are we talking about 15 minutes, 15 years, five days? Quantify it. Four weeks. Okay. How many hours a week? Well, so for instance, I teach this in a couple different ways. I think really mastery first and foremost takes a lifetime. Okay. The only thing that's constant in life is change. Okay. Your set of choices right now that are viable for you are totally different than when you were first married or before you were married or when you were a student, right? Mm -hmm. That's why I think it's really important to take your your realistic responsibilities into account first and foremost, and then build your life around those things. Okay. Um, Build this next move around those things. So mastery of this is ongoing. Like literally every year I redo my core values and my nature and nurture. I figure out my business's niche and where I fit into it. And then that helps dictate my business plan every year in the same way that it would help dictate my career trajectory, my career plan if I was an employee. So I get that part. But so let's say I devote four weeks to figuring out who I am and how I can uniquely contribute in a meaningful way to the business world. So now I'm up to the application stage and I look around and now I'm not sure, should I go and find a job 
or should I create my value by myself? In short, should I get a job or start a business? Is there a general way to figure that out and to figure out which one of those two directions to go down? That's a good question because I'll say that the people who go through our programs, I get kind of a 50-50 actually wow. in our participation. It's Some people are just, they know it's, it's in their gut. It's in like their heart of hearts that they need to be in control or they need to run something or really where their value set lies is in the creation component of things. But then, you know, a lot of other people, there's like, I just want a really happy nine to five. I want to go somewhere where I'm appreciated. I'm going to do good work. And then I want to go home and I want to wash my hands of it and not be in control and not be the one that's up at midnight thinking about email subject lines and what they're going to do with their business model and whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. So that I totally get. And there isn't one hard and fast rule, but I would say it all comes back to the core values and what those say about the journey to the destination for you. So if freedom is one of your core values, the question that you have to ask yourself is, what does freedom mean to me? Why is it important? And what's going to happen if I don't have it? Because the answer to those three questions, what does it mean to me? Why is it important? And what happens when I don't have it? are going to dictate what the ideal working environment for you to be in really is. So for me, I realized early on in my career through a lot of this, getting it wrong, that I am not a good employee. I'm a crappy employee. Like I always like to reinvent things. I never want to do something the same way twice. I like to be in charge and in control. I'm much more about like the interpersonal stuff than I am like the practical, tactical, technical stuff. So my way of adding value, interpersonal relationships, leading teams, coaching, mentoring, speaking, whatever, wasn't necessarily appreciated in a lot of corporate settings, unless I was mm-hmm. going to be like a trainer or a facilitator or something like that. So I kind of went down that route. I explored that to see if that would be enough. And it wasn't enough. It needed to be my idea or my methodology, right? I wanted to create. That was another part that I learned about myself. So I think the short answer to your question is that you're not going to figure it out by thinking about it. You're only going to figure it out by trying something, taking what works, getting rid of the rest of it, and then trying something else. Taking what works, getting rid of the rest of it. And it's that iterative process that gets you closer and closer to knowing what that ideal environment is. But you're not going to know if entrepreneurship is for you until you try it. Or you're going to know immediately that you don't have the risk tolerance for it. That's really, I think, what it comes to. So analysis paralysis is useless. Um, 100%. I like how you're saying that based on a very, very clear understanding of your values, you can really, it can help you dictate really every step of this process. Because like you said, if going to sleep at night, not thinking about the business is perfect for you. Let me put it to you this way. So I'm going to ask you your friend's question that you were only able to think about when you were somewhat inebriated. Yes. Um, And I'm not asking what your current state is, but I'm going to ask you a question (laughs) anyway. (laughs) This is water, I promise. And this is coffee, or it used to be coffee. It's now empty. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the question is like this. I might say that I like going home at five o'clock and I like shutting off my computer and not thinking about it. But I also know then that I'm limiting how much income I'm going to make. That's just a fact. There's a ceiling so in some roles in some industries. It's higher than others. You know, you can start as minimum wage and you can go pretty high up and you could be a Fortune 500 executive and CEO and be making hundreds of thousands or maybe even a couple million a year. 
be a baseball player, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, there's a ceiling. Mm-hmm. So, and for most people, we're not talking in, in those leagues. For most people, we're talking, someone's going to make a salary, they're going to make max $150,000, $200,000 in a good, well-paying job. As opposed to as a business owner, the sky is the limit and so is the floor. So you're not guaranteed a penny, but you have the potential to grow much, you know, much further beyond what you can do. For example, take the nursing home industry for a minute. You could be a great nursing home administrator and you can make somewhere in that range, but you're stuck. You could move up a little bit. You could be a regional. You can manage a few facilities. There's not yeah. much further short of buying a nursing home, which may or may not be a yeah. good idea. And that's what our other podcast is about. Part of what it's about. You're really kind of stuck. You really can't go anywhere else. So especially if you have you know, an expensive lifestyle that mm-hmm. you need to support, not because you have a yacht and three fancy cars and whatever, but just because children and tuition and mortgage and things like that, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it just doesn't cut it. So it's a great question. I could say, yeah, it would be nice to go home, close my computer at five o'clock, shut off my phone and just spend time with my family or community or whatever else I would like to be doing. But yeah. you know, I'm not going to make as much money and I need that money. So is that a good reason to start a business in your opinion? So, All right. I'm just going to throw this out there. I am an unintentional entrepreneur. I did not want to start a business. I had to. I had to start a business to get a message out there that I cared about, to do work that I really loved, to live the freedom that I desire. Yeah, but you also mentioned that you were a bad employee. Well, right. So I also had to be an entrepreneur. Right, for that reason. But thank you for bringing that up again. I appreciate that. No problem. Uh, (laughs) So I am not the end-all be-all resource on entrepreneurship. However, from my experience, if I did not care about what I'm doing as much as I do care about what I'm doing, I would have quit an uncountable number of times already. There is too much. It is too hard. There are too many things in your way for money to be your only motivator and think that you are going to have the sustainability that you need to make it last longer than a couple years at best. And for most businesses, unless you're taking out a bunch of capital or you've got like fancy rich friends who could support you or whatever, or if you're, uh, I don't know, like you have a benefactor of some sort, maybe a spouse or a parent or whatever who can sustain you while you're getting things started. It's really hard. It's really hard. I've bootstrapped this entire time. If I had to do it over again, I probably wouldn't. I did that out of ego. I wanted to be the bootstrapper. I didn't want to have to take out money. Mm-hmm. Seriously considering a line of credit at this point just to grow faster. So it's just too hard. It's so much work that if you don't give a shit about the work that you're doing, like the the impact you have on the world or the people that you're serving or what you're stretching towards or the the legacy it could leave, if you don't care at all about any of that, it's just about the dollars. I would challenge you to find an example of a sustainable way to do that. Okay. I think, right, no. People who we look at as, as really successful in that arena are doing bigger things, right? They're changing industries or they're reinventing a way to do X, Y, and Z or, you know, what have you. And, and they're not just in it for the money. But that's my opinion. I could be wrong. That is a great perspective. That is a super perspective. We're going to wrap up here because I know that it's late. Someone's knocking on your door already. Um, and, uh, guys, we're just standing right outside my office having a conversation. I have this whole sign that says interview in progress. <laughs> Get away. Go away. <laughs> yeah. um, I think that is a phenomenal perspective 
that if money is your only motivator, entrepreneurship, people are idolizing freedom and, you know, the laptop on the beach, yeah, cars, yeah. which is, which is not true. Because yeah. if you go to the beach, your laptop will get full of sand and the sun will probably ruin the battery. Um, it's just a terrible, terrible idea. So, but there is that idea that we all want to be able to do whatever we want, travel wherever we want, like the four-hour work week type of theology. And we don't even care if we're rich, the new rich, and we just want freedom and flexibility. You're working in WeWork right now. I'm working in Staples Studio. I'm in the Staples podcast because we both obviously recognize the value in such things. But at the same time, it's not always as easy and many people fail and fail miserably. So what I'm taking out here is that if it doesn't fit with your core values or if you have no idea what your core values are and you're just pushing day after day because you're waiting for the big payoff, A, it's probably not going to come because you're probably not providing enough value because you don't know who you are or what in the world you're trying to do. And B, even if it were to come and just fall in your lap, you may not be able to handle it until then financially, emotionally, spiritually, anything chilly, because it's just too difficult. There has to be a bigger motivator than just money. That is absolutely phenomenal. I actually I love that. I go so far as to say that that's not only true for entrepreneurship, it's true for careers in general. And but I it's easier that, for careers. It is You're, easier because you can get by longer, right? Like you can fake it or you can kind of hide or whatever longer, but... but it's so, clearly defined. If you have a job, it's clearly defined. You know you have to do this and that's it. You don't have to worry about the bills. You don't have to worry about clients and sales. Oh, and yeah, no, it's definitely a lot easier. Let's be real. But, but I mean, from a sustainability standpoint, you'll wake up one day. Maybe it's not when you're 25 like I did. Maybe... It's when you're 55 and now you've got way more things to think about paying for and you realize that you're miserable and, and you can't do it another day. I mean, the ultimate, I think, uh, horror story or whatever you want to call it, you know, cautionary tale would be that my dad even, and you know, God rest his soul, was an amazing man, was a great dad. He was miserable at his job his entire career. And when I was 16 years old, he came home one day and he told us he quit. And we were in a tailspin after that. I mean, we were a two-income household and all of a sudden we cut that in half and everything changed. And I was two years away from college. I mean, that's what you're putting on the line is, again, if you don't decide, the decision is going to be made for you and it might not be when you're in control and it might well, not have the outcome that you were really... How do you think that incident that you just said influenced your career path? Oh my gosh. I wouldn't have said it that way, but I think now that I'm thinking about it, it's where the fear and anxiety around needing to have an income and take care of myself came from. Largely. But it also gives you that unique ability to understand and empathize with other people when they're sitting there hating their job, but petrified to quit and knowing what the ramifications are. You've tasted it, experienced it and lived it already. Crazy. It's been, go ahead. Sorry. No, it's just especially when I'm talking to parents, right? I'm like, and most of the time they're falling on the sword because of their kids and they're saying, I want a specific lifestyle for my kids. I'm like, yeah, but what about the day you just can't do it anymore? And you come home and you rip that lifestyle away. Like, it's just, you're right. Thank you for saying that. And thanks for asking that question because it's definitely not something I talk about all the time, but it lives and breathes and influences what I do as well. It certainly must do just that. I did have someone once on the show uh, discuss the concept that, you know, the only real way to, or one of the real ways to deal with this is talking to kids early on and figuring out, helping them realize what they really want early on. 
So for example, if we could watch a video now of us playing, I look at my kids sometimes and I watch them playing and naturally being themselves and they're not having long conversations where they're paying someone else who they don't know lots of money to figure stuff out. They're just being themselves. Like I mentioned that there's a bunch of them and they're all so completely different and it's so obviously different. But as they're being put through society, there, there are certain norms that are forced upon them and as we mature, sometimes we forget who we are naturally as people. And if we could just take that a uh, 60-minute clip of us playing as children in some social environment and then watch it 25 years later, we would see so many things. If we could literally look at ourselves, and maybe we can somehow, virtual reality, I don't know. <laughs> but if we, if we were to really do that, we would... Movies, right? <laughs> right, we had movies, exactly. It would be so eye-opening. And if parents, whoever's parents now are in any mentorship or influencer role, if we were to help people understand the importance of this, you know, before they go to college and even, you know, in high school, if they're doing odd jobs, it's not just jobs, but let them understand who they are and get in touch with themselves, they can get that much more ahead. Tracy, it's been a very very enjoyable conversation. It's also been a very, very long conversation past the t- a lot of time for you. If people want to learn more about you, about your work, and to learn more about some of these principles, where's the best place to send them? Yeah. So specifically for viewers of yours and uh, listeners of your podcast, I put together a webpage dedicated to everything that we've talked about here today and specifically some of these resources that I mentioned. So if you want to book a call with me, if you want to watch one of our webinars, if you want to download any of our guides, they're all going to be listed there. And the website's just going to be tracytim.com slash 925. So yeah, T-R-A-C-Y-T-I-M-M.com slash nine, the number nine, T-O five. Awesome. Fairly certain that's the webpage. I'm double checking it right now. So if I'm okay. wrong, I apologize. Uh, but that should be that should be it. Awesome. And- well, we'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes as well. Before we let you go, Tracy, any final thoughts? If someone needs a 30-second soundbite from you, someone who's suffering in a role that doesn't work for them, I'm putting you on the spot, I don't care. What is the one thing that you would want them to hear that would completely shift the way that they're thinking about their career? In the world of psychology, there are two types of regrets. There are regrets for things that you did, and there are regrets for things that you never did or chose not to do. And scientifically speaking, the regrets for things that we chose not to do or didn't do actually haunt us because of the way our brains work. Our brains like a beginning, a middle, and an end. And when you choose not to do something, you don't have a resolution or an outcome. And your brain is going to constantly be looking for the answer to that issue. And because there isn't one, it'll be searching infinitely for all the possibilities. So if you want to know why you beat yourself up with the shoulda, woulda, couldas, or the what ifs, or whatever, it's because of your brain chemistry. So if you at all are unhappy with what you're doing, and you choose the fear or the anxiety or the worry route or the, you know, we talked about just not making a decision at all, know that you will never regret trying more than you will regret doing nothing. It's psychology 101. And the day that I learned that is the day that I decided that I will not regret trying. 
I will always regret not trying. So go for it. Awesome. Very, very encouraging. And that is definitely very enlightening as well. Thank you so much, Tracy, for coming on the Love Your 9 to 5 show. Really appreciate it. Thank you for your patience. So thank you so much. Yeah, sounds great. I hope we can do this again.